Welcome to Old Eyes, New Glasses, a podcast about relationships, family, and how emotional intelligence impacts our lives. My name is Avery Baker, and my dad is Brian Baker. It's a family joke that he's got the old eyes and I've got the new glasses, and that's how we got the name of our show. Together, we are the only father and son inspirational speaking duo on the circuit. This podcast is an extension of the messages we share with audiences we speak to, ranging from thousands of people at national conferences to high school gymnasiums with 1,200 students. Get ready to listen to some of the most dynamic, the most unique, and the most inspirational cross-generational conversations you've ever heard. What's up, everybody? Uh, Today is Wednesday, June the 10th. And we just want to follow up a little bit on our last podcast where we touched on the subject of racism and how it has impacted uh, our lives uh, from a generational perspective. Uh, Yesterday, Mr. George Floyd was laid to rest in his hometown of Houston, Texas. And so we just want to have a discussion today about what life after George Floyd is going to be like. We know there have been um, some monumental things going on in this country. We got protests uh, going into its second week, almost its third week now. Yeah, sorry Um, to interrupt you, Pops, but not just around this country, around the world. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for that. Around the world. And so, um, but what is the world going to, what is the world going to look like moving, moving forward? What happens now? I know, Avery, that you um, wanted to lift up your voice and you, you participated in a couple of different uh, marches up here in the Sacramento area. I know your brother uh, did the same thing uh, down in Los Angeles. And so um, it is definitely uh, a time for the ages. And um, the question remains now, and we've been discussing this as a family, mm-hmm. you know, almost every day over the past couple of weeks, like where, where, weeks, where are we headed? Right. And and so, Avery, if you could just kind of share a little bit about, you know, how you've been processing this as a 24 year old over the last uh, couple of weeks and share your experiences with everybody. And then we'll just um, we'll go from there. Absolutely. I think the well, as you mentioned, I've been to two two of the protests here in Sacramento. It felt like um, last week the first week of June, there was literally a protest every single day in different Mm. parts of the city. And I felt like that was shared across the country, which was again, crazy to, to see just the, the numbers and, um, and how many people were participating, especially in protests, because that's like something I've never seen before is that many people rallying in protests together. And um, I, you know, the last couple of weeks have been kind of overwhelming. They've been sad. They've been exhausting. I've been educating people. I've been having tough conversations with people. I've had to have some real heart to hearts. And so all of that combined uh, has really led me to, as you mentioned, express myself. And I wanted to have my voice heard. And um, I think it's been really beautiful seeing so many people across different lines, whether that's race lines, gender lines, sexual orientation lines, like this has been a total movement. And uh, one of the overwhelming feelings that I've also felt recently has been love. 
-hmm. And I think that is something that is, is very important to note here is that so much love has been spread across the world since George Floyd died and since the world saw George Floyd get murdered. Mm-hmm. And so the outpour of love has been, it is, it is made me hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have not lost track of the goal, you know, and that's justice, especially mm-hmm. in the case of George Floyd. And so there's just, it's been, it's been hard to process, you know, I will say when I was out there Saturday in Sacramento, there was over 15,000 people. And um, that was just, and 15,000 people literally from all walks of life. Mm. I mean, it was, you know, on our phones, we have emojis and people have been utilizing all five shades of the emojis that you can use. They have like a, a darker skin emoji. They have like a medium brown skin, a light skin, then a, uh, a tan and then a white, you know? And so people have been putting those together as fists like side by side. Mm. And that's what it felt like here in my hometown of Sacramento. And that was really, that was beautiful because it kind of confirmed for me that my upbringing, being friends with people from all different walks of life, it wasn't a facade. Like that's really how this community is. And so that felt, that felt really good. And so Overall, I mean, I've been processing it kind of just like everybody else. Like it's been a whirlwind of news feeds, news cycles. I feel like every day brings some sort of new talking point every day. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that every day we get one step closer to justice. And so, yeah, that's how I've been processing it. But I do have to ask you, as the uh, older baby boomer here in this conversation, have you seen anything like this in your life? Um, the magnitude of, of the protests and everything that's been going on. Have you seen anything like this? Well, first of all, you can just call me the baby boomer. You don't have to put the old thing in front of it. We already <laughs> that I'm a little longer in the tooth. But no, I have never seen <clears throat> anything like this um, in my life. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I lived during a time where the Los Angeles riots in 1992 take, took place after um, the police officers were acquitted in the Rodney King trial. Um, uh, b- before that, obviously, the 60s were very uh, uh, a tumultuous time uh, in the country. And so, you know, being someone who's kind of a history buff, you know, I've certainly gone back and looked at all of those things, what happened in Watts in 65, what happened uh, after Martin Luther King was killed in 68, where, um, you know, protests and riots uh, ignited around the country in, in major urban cities. But, you know, 1992, um, that, was, that was pretty much based in Los Angeles. And, uh, and, and since South Central Los Angeles at that, it did not, you know, the things that were happening did not spread outside of that particular area of Los Angeles. This is definitely different. This is, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it's a worldwide um, uh, uh, coming together uh, like, like I've never seen before. I do recall when, um, when apartheid was, was really being touched on uh, in the 90s, in the 80s and the 90s, that you know, you saw things around the world as far as apartheid was concerned, and that coming to the end. But there's just something about um, seeing this gentleman's life be taken uh, in front of the world, and in, in the fashion that it happened. I think it just, I just think it touched a chord um, with a lot of people. So no, I have not, I have not seen anything like this. 
I, I do hope that the energy continues because, you know, what comes out of this, I think, is really the most important thing. Now, you mentioned justice for Mr. Floyd, and that's absolutely important, but there has to be some, some real changes, um, you know, in, in our society and in our country right now moving forward, too. I don't think that you could, I don't think you could take this, this particular incident that happened and the police officers, you know, you know hopefully they're convicted, um, but they go to jail and then and that's it. And then it's back to business as usual. This has got to be something longer than that. And I think there are a lot of people that are beginning to realize right now um, that the way policing has been done in the country yes. uh, has gotten us to this point yes. uh, of, of the country literally um, exploding um, in a lot of different ways. And so people are waking up a little bit to the actions of, of police officers, not all police officers, obviously, but a great uh, deal of circumstances that have happened, not only recently, but through, you know, the, the, the past few decades and centuries. For people that don't know the history of policing, um, I, 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 I think it's important that people do know that history, that it really began back in, in, in slave time, slavery. And it started as, as a, a group of, of people that were called um, uh, night watchers, right? They were slave patrols and they were night watchers. And those, those things morphed into police departments. And, and it was really designed to control the behavior of slaves and, and, and then, you know, through the years of minorities. And so, you know, when you understand the beginnings and the origins of how policing started, it doesn't surprise you that if, uh, if things go unchecked, what it has morphed into. And so I think that people are beginning to, to get woke on that uh, right now. You like that word, man? I'm, I'm trying to catch up on my, <laughs> you know, on my, on my, you know, hip sayings or whatever you want to say. But, but no, I think people have become, become more woke as far as that is concerned. And so it's got to be some, it's got to be some real change to come, come from this. Interestingly though, I'm interested in, in young people's perspective on change uh, because, you know, this is the world that, that you guys are going to be inheriting um, as your brother uh, uh, is not shy about telling me that like our generation has kind of messed up the world for, for, for you guys. <laughs> and so uh, I don't disagree with him. I don't think that we are leaving, you know, you guys a better planet. And so it's up to you to fix it. But what does change look like from the standpoint of a young person? What is it that you want to see? What is it that this moment can do to actually begin to, to shape the future um, in a better way. Yeah, I think first and foremost, I think the the thing that strikes a nerve with people the most, including myself, is to see people be able to do what those four cops did to George Floyd. And then I realized that they got fired pretty quickly. That's a great first step. Mm. That should not be the only step, though, because they took that man's life. And so it's very challenging for us to know that the heinous nature of what it means to actually kill someone 
and then to know how illegal it is in this country, how outlawed it is, and how punishable that act is. And time and time again, this is, this is one of the first occasions where the cops like immediately got fired. Now we're getting to a point where it's like, now they need to be arrested. And so where does change come in? It should not take nine days to arrest the other three officers that were there on duty, sworn to protect and serve, mm -hmm. and sit there and let that man die. Mm -hmm. So it took nine days for the Minneapolis, you know, prosecutor, whoever is in charge, the Minnesota Attorney General, whoever is in charge of arresting those people that killed that man, it took nine days. That's too long. Mm. I think that we're at a point now, the entire world watched that man die on camera. Mm. We saw that within hours of it happening. There's no reason that it should take you nine more days to then be like, oh, wait, that was wrong. Well, like, it's part of the change then. It's part of the change. Does it have to be, you know, swifter accountability? Is, is, yes. that, is that what you're saying? Because, you know, they, police officers always get this, this benefit of the doubt that nobody else gets. George Floyd didn't get a benefit of the doubt, right? They say he passed a $20 bill. You know, we still don't know if that it actually really happened or passed a, a, a fake $20 bill, I should say. We just really don't know. We just know that immediately for whatever it is that he did, it's like you're under arrest, right? Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like he... So exactly, and that's the, that's a great point. I mean, he was already under arrest for possibly having a fake twenty dollar bill. Yet these dudes killed somebody and participated in murder, and they were just walking around, or they were just able to be free for nine more days. Aside from the guy that actually is getting charged for second degree murder, mm -hmm. and so that's part of the change. The change is accountability, okay. because there has been a lack of accountability for police for forever ever and that is shown in just how much they how much they're willing to negotiate in their police unions mm. for example had it not been for social media doing the digging and finding the pictures of all these cops if it, if there's no social media the police aren't required to release the names of the officers that did the crime yeah like these are the little things that police get away with and they're able to negotiate with that just, that's just, that's too much. That's abuse of power. Mm -hmm. And that's the change that we're trying to see is that we are seeing all of these things happening, these heinous crimes, these killings, murderings, beatings, and like no accountability. So it does start with the legal system. It starts with how cops are viewed Mm -hmm. That there needs to be change in how cops are viewed because they should not just have immunity for anything and everything that they do. Right. That doesn't make any sort of sense. And furthermore, you're actually giving them the leeway and you're telling them to push the boundary on what we all know to be right and wrong in this society. Well, it goes back to what I just explained about the history of policing, right? And and, and uh, you know, what, what the goal of policing was 
back during that time and it hasn't really changed, right? Correct. And it wasn't like you always were looking for the best and the brightest to become police officers. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the, if, if the rules, you know, are, are set for them to be able to, um, you know, do whatever it is that they want to do, and then subsequently tell whatever story they want to tell um, in these reports, right? We, 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 we do see oftentimes that the reports do not indicate what actually happened. And so, you know, we know that, you know, falsifying that, that, that those reports is something that we've seen consistently, mm -hmm. right? So I agree with you in terms of the accountability aspect. What else? What else from a, you know, just from a societal perspective are, are you looking to see? Yeah, so I think, um, I think you touched on something and that goes into like the necessary training to become a police officer. Mm. That also needs to go into question because clearly um, I'm gonna use the Chris Rock uh, analogy when he had that stand-up skit where he talked about some jobs just can't have bad apples. And so it seems to me that too often there are just bad apples in the police department, whatever that means, whatever, however you want to envisualize that, like that, th that can't happen when you're carrying a, a weapon that can ultimately harm people and kill people. Yeah. And when you have the power to cross that line of harming and or killing people with the qualified immunity that cops have. And so again, a lot of this change is not just like one thing. It's like so much of these, so many of these systems are intertwined mm -hmm. so that legally cops have qualified immunity. But at the same time, why, if they're able to have such a high level of responsibility, are they not required to go through such a high level of training? Yeah. Like if a doctor wants to be a doctor, they've got to go through six to eight years of medical school. And they're not literally holding weapons that can kill people, but they can kill people. But a police officer is holding a gun along with a baton, along with a taser, along with handcuffs. And yet their minimal training results in them having something called qualified immunity, which basically says that they can step over the boundaries of our basic kind of civil laws, like don't kill and things like that. And so that's another place where change can happen. Change can happen on the training of police, how much time and what kind of training goes into that because there's another problem with the training. They are oftentimes trained to kill or trained to harm. They're not, they're not trained to defuse all the time. Well, I think, I, think, I think that that's something that gets thrown out there is that they're trained to defuse situations, but it's just, it's kind of ironic that, you know, from a from a black man's perspective, in my in my fifty five years on Earth, and you, th there are plenty of black men that can attest to this. Black people, I shouldn't just say black men, black people that it can attest to the fact that you know if something goes down, you're leery to to call the police mm -hmm. because instead of oftentimes defusing the situation, they can make it worse, That's cool. and you could be the victim That's even cool. though you're the person that called them you know, for some assistance or, some, or for some help. And so, yeah, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. That the diffusing thing is very interesting because it doesn't seem to me that that's, um, at least in communities of colors, the diffusing thing does not 
um, it's not first and foremost on their mind when they roll up to the sink. Absolutely. And so that is, you know, part of the, the lack of trust that has seeped into communities of minority communities because mm-hmm. there is, you know, we can't trust that, oh, if the police show up, that they're going to A, believe us, B, be actually here on our side to protect and serve. And so, um, yeah, that that overwhelmingly is a part of the problem. <laughs> so let me ask you. Let me ask you this then. So now we're at this place where there is a uh, a move afoot to um, defund the police. Now I happen to believe that that's the wrong title uh, to use because I I, I don't I I, I get. I get what they, what many people mean by that, but I think you have to be careful with using the word defund the police. What do you think about, you know, that, that particular phrase and like, what are your feelings on that? Cause you know, it, young people may look at it differently than, than, than older people. I look at it a little bit differently. I'll talk about mine in a minute, but what about you? Yeah, I'll throw it back to you. But for me, it's, um, I mean, it, it, it's quite literally taking the words for what they mean. Um, defunding something is like taking that budget and decreasing it. Like you're removing funds from that budget. Okay. And so um, it's important to note that overwhelmingly across this country, many police departments have had their budgets increased over the last 10 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. For many police departments since 9-11, a lot of police departments have started to become militarized. Mm-hmm. And so that actually adds, um, they've had tremendous increases in their budget because now they're taking in military supplies and military weapons and uh, military vehicles. And so that's important to note because at the same time when so many cities across the country have been adding to their police budgets, they've been taking away from other social funds, i.e. education, mm-hmm. i.e. Medicaid, i.e. some public, other public health programs. And so it's just by no coincidence that that has been the case. And so in the same breath that people over the last 20 years, lawmakers, policymakers, and people in positions of power have been so quick to add funding to police budgets, and yet, I'm sorry, but like, I'm still seeing more police kill people in the United States than like almost the rest of the world combined. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. So why are we continuing to reward police departments for actually not doing their job, but yet schools have been defunded, public health programs have been defunded, after school programs have been defunded, yeah public um, parks and communities have been defunded. And so why is it that our, I challenge our value system Mm. when we just want to try to put a Band-Aid on things, which honestly is a really bad Band-Aid. The Band-Aid is the police. Mm. And and the Band-Aid is actually, it's kind of rotten. And so it's, it's seeping into the wound. So we've got to start addressing problems that police can't solve. So better education in communities 
that have been disadvantaged, that have been redlined, those communities that have been just not paid attention to, banks haven't invested in them. And so what we see is oftentimes police having interactions with people in those communities, also not by coincidence. Again, this goes back to what you were talking about, Pops, and how policing originated from monitoring people of color and monitoring communities and making sure and checking communities where there is high uh, numbers of minorities. Yeah, absolutely. So, So that mentality has continued to be passed down until 2020. And so instead of being, you know, the advanced quote unquote first world country that we are and actually saying, oh, wow, do these kids need some therapists? Do they need counselors? Maybe they need some social workers. Maybe they need some more health care in their communities. Maybe they need better education. Maybe their books are a little run down. Maybe the desks are kind of trash. Maybe they need the iPads that so many other affluent communities and kids communities get from the time that they're six and seven years old. And, and so- we're seeing that we're seeing that right now, Avery, well, as this pandemic, you know, which, by the way, everybody, this pandemic is still uh, happening. I, oh, really? I, I, I think it's I think a lot of people have put that on the back burner like, you know, it's not taking place. And, you know, I, I think everybody needs to understand that, um, you know, the analogy that you could use is a baseball game and we're in the in the fourth inning right now. Right. So. Um, but but the, the point is, is that, you know, as as school moved to online virtual learning, there is a, a ton of kids that did not have the opportunity um, to continue their education because they did not have the infrastructure, the bandwidth to be able to even access online earning. And so that's to your point, uh, to your point right there. I, I, I'm glad to hear you talk about defunding in that way. I think that, you know, it's, there's a, there's a uh, chance for that message to get lost using the, the term defunding. I think it just is, is a reallocation of monies that need to go to, to some, some other places. And at the end of the day, it really will make, um, you know, police officers' jobs easier um, that if, if some of these other societal ills get addressed, right? It can't, it can't help but make their jobs easier. Now, at the same time, the training does have to go uh, uh, into the police uh, forces, into police officers, uh, officers, you know, implicit bias, which we know is a huge problem uh, uh, in this country. Uh, there needs to be more emphasis put on that. There probably needs to be more emphasis put on uh, having a police police officers that come from the community policing those communities. Because, you know, it's very, very difficult for somebody that rarely has an interaction with someone that doesn't look like them to then put in a position to, quote unquote, police them, right? And as I said before, police departments originally were designed to control the behavior of of minorities, the behavior of, of slaves. And so uh, I think that that's something um, that, that certainly has to be looked into. Let me ask you this. Um, I, I see, you know, this momentum that's, that's happening right now, that's taking place, and this window uh, to, for change is here. From, from your perspective, um, if this stuff doesn't, if you don't start seeing this stuff implemented immediately, what, what kind of problem does that present 
for for you and and your peers. I won't ask you to speak for all millennials or all Gen Zers, but you know, for the circles that you run in, you know, I, I I'm a person that happens to believe, you know, change can happen. How immediate? That's that's questionable, right? And I just think that there's other things that need to happen, like voting in November. But that's for another another time. But immediate. What if it doesn't happen? What is immediate? And what if it doesn't happen in the time frame that that you're looking at? Where do you go from there? Um, I think immediate is uh, by November uh, if we don't see some props in many states talking about reallocating funds to communities in need to disadvantaged communities to poor communities if we don't see any of that that's going to be a problem um i think that you know the immediate nature is okay well i just watched the minneapolis city council have a very urgent meeting discussing whether or not they're going to keep their police force um I think it's time for some more urgent meetings across the country from city councils, not necessarily having that conversation, whether or not they're gonna move to community service or community oriented policing, but um, definitely along the lines of what what is our police budget actually look like and uh, where can some of these funds actually be allocated that like we talked about can mm -hmm. solve these problems that policing cannot. Policing, again, is just throwing a Band-Aid on top of it. That's not actually getting in and digging out the wound and getting the bacteria out of it and cleaning it out and then patching it over and let it grow and heal over. Mm -hmm. It's a different thing when you just are throwing a Band-Aid on top and you're just hoping and praying that, like, I, I, hope, it, I hope it doesn't get worse. Mm -hmm. That's the mindset. The mindset is I hope it doesn't get worse instead of let's actually solve the problem. And so that's the type of things that if, it, if those things aren't addressed immediately, if the solutions aren't presented in the next, we're in June by November in the next five months, if we aren't seeing more city council members having these conversations and really actually like coming to grip with, oh, wow, we've been defunding schools for decades. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. that hasn't done anything good so I think that it, it is, it's time to wake up. And, and I think the immediate nature is, okay, so you mentioned the fact that we are in a pandemic and that is very real. Mm -hmm. We've been in a pandemic for going on, you know, let's say six months, right? Now we have seen how the United States, our very own government has responded to this global pandemic. There was a time in which they minimized its existence, the government, and then there was a time when they lacked the resources to support medical staffs across the country. And over 110,000 people have died. Mm -hmm. Now, I use that analogy to say, black people in America have been in a pandemic for over 150 years. And that's not yeah. even including slavery. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're, I'm just addressing the times where slavery was outlawed. So I wanna ask, how has the United States government addressed the Black American pandemic? Well, for a while, they denied its existence or minimized its existence. And secondly, they have had a lack of resources to address the problem and the pandemic. And so it's by no accident that 
that has occurred over 150 years. And so, yeah, I think I brought up the point of the pandemic because, yeah, a lot of people are frustrated by that. And that has changed the lives of many people. And so the added frustration is what I just mentioned is the 157 years of Black people being oppressed being dehumanized, being marginalized, being outcast, being redlined, being suppressing their voting rights. Like all of these things come on top that 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 is what's creating this moment. That's creating the urgency behind this moment and the Mm -hmm. urgency of change behind this very moment right here. So this time frame between now and November's elections like this is such a crucial time and what kind of laws are we going to start seeing put on to people's ballots where is funding go ahead no, no, no go ahead i'm sorry i cut you off go ahead son go ahead. well i was just gonna say where is funding going to be reallocated to because we've heard the lip service i yeah. mean you raised me to be educated and you raised me to know my history and i'm very acutely i'm acutely aware of the injustices that have been brought against black people for the entirety of the time that Africans were brought over here, the entirety Mm -hmm. of the time. And so for me as a 24 year old, knowing that knowledge and knowing that history and living in a world of instant technology and instant, and like we all have access to this knowledge now. So it doesn't sit Mm -hmm. well with me and other people of my age that now live in this world where we have so much access to, to technology yet we're still slow to act on some of these basic civil rights things that have been yeah. going on for, yeah. for centuries. Yeah, so no, you're right. That's you're the frustration. Right. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Let, let, let me ask you this as we begin to wind this, this episode down. Um, you know, you happen to be somebody that uh, in, in, in your short 24 years on the planet, you've been able to... to um, to experience and do quite a few things. And you know, a lot of people from different walks of life, uh, different uh, ethnicities, um, you, you know, people around the world, you don't just know people here in the United States, but I'm very interested to just, if you could share, if you don't, if you don't care to get you know, too deep, you don't have to, yeah. and you don't have to be too long about it, but what are some of the conversations that you're having with, with people who aren't um, young uh, uh, black, black people, um, you know, from around the world, from, you know, if you've been in contact with your friends, you know, in other parts of the, of the world, uh, and your friends here that, that aren't black, can you kind of just kind of give some insight, some high level insight to kind of what those conversations, you know, have touched on and, and, um, um, I'll just leave it at that. I'll yeah. leave it at that. Well, first, I want to acknowledge that I do, I am a firm believer in the fact that conversations need to be had. Like, mm. First and foremost, uncomfortable or comfortable, confirmation bias or complete opposite. I don't care. You need to start having conversations with at least at bare minimum with the people that matter to you, you know? And so for me, I have felt a lot of love from people, my friends that aren't black, that have been either showing their support by being out there with me, that have been reaching out to me and checking in. Now, I will admit it has felt a little weird because it just feels like, you know, I kind of lost a a loved one personally. But I do think that speaks to the awareness that people have of this current moment where it's like, yeah, this current moment isn't just about George Floyd and may he rest in peace. But this is this is 
so much bigger than George Floyd, and he might have just been the camel to break, or the straw to break the camel's back, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the conversations have been tough. They've been exhausting. They've been me educating. They've been a lot of, you know, admittedly, it's been, it's been a lot of one-way conversations. And um, I, I was reading something earlier today. What do you mean? I'm sorry. What do you mean by it's been one-way conversations? Well, for the first time in my life, I feel like my experiences are being heard and valued. Okay. So as, you know, to give people a little background, like I attended, you know, both private and public schools growing up. And oftentimes, especially in private schools, I was legitimately the only black kid in class. And so having been a minority throughout my schooling education, and, and even when I got to high school, I mean, I was, when I was at a public school, I was literally one of four black kids in the accelerated international baccalaureate program at my entire high school. And yeah. so I've always kind of had this feeling of like, you know what, like I could scream and shout, but nobody's really going to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's what I mean by having one way conversations. It's like for the first time, it's like, no, listen to me. Okay. Like listen to what my experience has been because y'all don't know. And you're not going to continue to minimize my experience and marginalize it and make me feel like, oh, what I'm experiencing isn't quite there. Mm -hmm. You know, so so it's been a lot of that. And so it's, it's having those conversations and having people recognize that, like. I mean, you know, call it call it what you want, call it what their privilege is. And we all have our different our varied levels of privilege, but um, it's recognizing like. Yeah, just because you don't see this doesn't make it not real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's what a lot of my conversations have been. And like I said, I mean, to be honest, it's been a little exhausting. I've been, I've been feeling like, did I turn into a part-time professor? You know, where it's like, I'm like having conversations with people, but it's also like, no, like I'm trying to tell people, educate yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like learn some parts of history that they don't teach us in school. And like, that's a whole different, that's a whole podcast series talking about <laughs> reforming education in this country, because yes, it is taught and the education has been passed down from a white supremacy standpoint. Mm -hmm. It has been passed down from the narrative of the white man. Mm -hmm. That's the only history that we learn in our public schools. And for many of our private schools, that's the only history that we learn. And so it's really about telling people like, no, <laughs> Not everything that you read in those textbooks are real. And mm -hmm. guess what? Like, there was a lot more that went on that they didn't tell us. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, but overwhelmingly, I have, again, I have met people where they are. And I think the conversations are very important to have because without them starting, you know, it's very hard to have, it's very hard to have a middle ground if there's yeah. no communication. If we're just going to continue to stand on opposite sides of the spectrum and nobody's going to at least try to start the conversation. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, you, well, as I'm listening to you talk, man, you're sparking uh, a thought in me and we can, we can discuss this, you know, perhaps having like um, a, a young, a young people summit uh, where on our upcoming, uh, upcoming podcast is uh, uh, episode, perhaps we just, we draw in, uh, young people and just have a conversation. I can moderate it uh, as the as the old dude 
on the call and just listen because, you know, I'm at that place where I need to listen to, to young people as well. You talked about uh, having conversations that matter. Obviously, um, you and I, as, as motivational speakers, that's what we do. We go out and we have conversations uh, with audiences that matter, whether it's their, their workplace relationships, whether it's their family relationships, parent and child relationships. That's what it's about. And that's what, you know, the Avery and Brian experience is about. It's like, look, like, how do we have conversations? But then how do we also do some self-exploration yep. to kind of figure out, like, how we get better as individuals in order to be able to be better in our relationships, right? Not to put mm -hmm. it off on, on other people. But you're, you're making me think about it. So let's talk about uh, an upcoming episode where perhaps we have um, a group of people your age, um to to sit down and talk about you know what what you guys want to see in the world moving forward um yeah that would be a good a, a good possibility but with that being said i'll turn it over to you so you can kind of close us out uh on this particular episode it was good to catch up with you i talk to you often obviously <laughs> um but uh but i'm always i'm always glad when we're able to sit down and 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 have these discussions i think it's um, i think it's important and i think it's important for people to hear them Yes, very important. And the more discussions we have, the better we will get at them and the better that we will be able to understand. Um, not only, I'm not, and I'm not just talking about this from our podcast, I'm just talking about as a society. The more conversations yeah. we have, the better we are, um, the better we will be able to understand each other. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the human experience. And so yep. with that being said, until next time, thank you for listening into this podcast. It has been a very, very special episode. and. Um, to be continued until justice is served. Talk to y'all later. Take care.